Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest sitting on our couch. I'm digging the boots. Yeah, Thank there's, I'm there's, digging there's, the boots. there's a whole the look going on here. I think they're from Fashion Nova. They're very um, comfortable. So nice. I've never ordered anything off of Fashion Nova. I'm not gonna lie. They don't look comfortable. They just look cool. <laughs> um, you get used to the heels, honestly. I, I feel you. I feel like the whole look is just cool. Like I said, I mean, unfortunately, our guests are I mean, our listeners are not going to get to see this particular guest. No, sorry. Because we're doing something a little bit different. So today on our couch, we have Storm. Storm is a 16 year old um, who uses the pronouns they, them, mm-hmm. and their parents um, sort of introduced them to our podcast. And they reached out to me and said, I think it would be interesting to have an episode uh, with a teenager talking about teenage mental health. And I was like, interesting. <laughs> like I'd never really, <laughs> never really considered it, but especially right now, I feel like this is super important because I mm-hmm. feel like um, Storm's entire age group is like the forgotten age group. Like, could, do you remember when you what were a teenager? What do you mean teenager? the forgotten age group? Do you remember what, being what, a teenager? We don't exist, obviously. What the fuck does that even mean? I'm going to tell you. <laughs> okay. Do you remember being a teenager? Yes, I do, Your actually. entire fucking life was your social life your friends your right now they are not able to see each other at all their only interaction is being on screens and social media and you know they can't even go to school they can't go out they can't do anything and i just feel like you know their age group is probably really struggling a lot right now i'm not gonna lie i think if i when i was this age if this shit was going down when i was this age i wouldn't have cared because i when i was this age it was it was it was different than it is now we were always physically together there there was no texting mm-hmm. anybody. There was no doing nothing. It so was a, wouldn't you have it was, crazy? It then? was a neighborhood full of kids and we'd all hang out with each other. And I was really close with maybe a small handful of people, like really close. Like I was always at this one dude's house or this one dude's house or this one dude's house. And we were always at each other's houses. And I feel like we would have just continued to do that because we would have been each other's bubble and we would have just still been like, yeah, hey, but bubbles aren't my, allowed anymore. Bubbles aren't allowed anymore. Even, I'm, I'm just telling you what I probably So you have, were going to break the law you're saying. Okay, I'm glad well, this is recorded then. Well, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest with you, I probably would have. I probably would have. Uh, well, it wouldn't have been the first there's... time I fucking broke the law being a oh. fucking 16-year-old kid. <laughs> I'm, I'm just I saying. have no comment on that, being a 16-year-old kid. So Put it this way. Uh, the first drink I had wasn't when I was 19. So, and That's you true. can't say that this, you know, the uh, yeah, same thing for you, right? I can't say that either. Exactly. Though, so. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I don't, I, I really think I would have, also the time was different. We were always in each other's different. houses. That's, that's Everyone the, was that's, like outside. That's what we did, right? So it wasn't this like this world of screens and texting anyway. Well, I I still feel like teenagers right now are probably struggling more than people realize. And I've said from the very beginning that I feel like somewhat um, grateful that I still have small children. You know, like they are entertained by like soap and water. You know what I mean? Like, why did you say it like that? More affected than people realize. Like, what makes you think people don't realize? Well, just and I'm some, not saying that you're not affected. That I have but I'm just seen, curious. Just some things I've seen. Like I did what? bring up to you that there was a post, um, and I've seen a few of them. People posting online, like you know, stop whining about being stuck at home or stop. You know, like mm-hmm. in this this generation went through this 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 this. Just this generation went through this this. And I just feel like they're very often minimizing like teenagers and young adults' mental health right now. Yeah, and just there's from a, some of the. Things there's, I've seen. there's a there's a big difference 
hiding out in occupied fucking France than there is in what right? what this global pandemic is in Ontario. Exactly. There's a big fucking difference. Mm-hmm. So that's all I meant is I feel like there's a whole group of people, Storm's Age, and they can tell us for themselves. Like <laughs> that are struggling right now but that's that's not even what um the conversation was supposed to be storm has a story and i'm gonna let them tell it themselves very intricate one um you know about some things that probably other teens can relate to you know about having absentee parents about um having mental health issues about being in treatment centers all of these things and there are probably a lot of teens that can relate to it and storm just really wanted to come on tell their story and maybe bring some awareness to mental health struggles that involve teenagers. Cool. Sounds good to me. So why don't we start with an introduction? I mean, you can uh, tell us as much or as little about yourself as you (laughs) like, but a little bit about sort of why you wanted to do this and, you know, Mm -hmm. where you're at in your life right now. And, you know, we'll get into the backstory as well. Um, So I'm... I have a lot of mental health issues. I'm I'm not going to hide that. I have a lot of very um, officially diagnosed things. It's kind of like an alphabet soup. Um, But uh, I really, over the past like two years or so, have gotten a really um, big handle on them. I've been able to use um, the skills that I learned in the treatment centers, plus things I learned uh, through traumatic events and a whole bunch of other different things. Um, and I've been able to really put those to use over the past couple of years. And I've really gotten to a a good place where I can genuinely say I'm good. Even like, you know, people pass you on the street. Hi, how are you? I can genuinely say I'm good because a lot of people, I'm good. How are you? And it's not really true necessarily. And I've always found myself thinking, hey, that wasn't true, but that's just kind of what you normally have to say to someone. That's what you say sometimes, even if somebody didn't say, how are you? Because that's how little we listen to each other. Exactly. Like I found myself going like, good, how are you? And I'm like, oh, they didn't say, how are you? (laughs) Whoopsie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's just, it's really, people really tend to disregard the fact that everybody has emotions Mm-hmm. And I guess people don't understand that maybe if, like if you're passing someone on the street, it's like, oh, emotions aren't allowed. I have to say that I'm good. Like what? What? <laughs> um, but no, I can really say that I am good now. And of course, everybody has bad days and struggles and anxieties and all these different kinds of things. But um, to be able to say that I'm good is a huge milestone for me. Um so, yeah, it's really kind of awesome. So why don't we start at the beginning then to make this all make sense to people? Um, part of, I mean, I, I don't want to be just to let you know, like I'm never minimizing any part of your story. No. But when I am saying like part of the story and, you know, probably what led to some of these mental health issues is you had an atypical childhood. You had a very interesting start to life, mm-hmm. a very different upbringing than some people. And, you know, I, I think I said this to you over the phone when we first spoke that you've probably seen more things and dealt with more th- things in 16 years than, you know, I have in my 37 oh. years or than some people will in their entire life. Right. So yeah. I want to I don't want to kinda... compare because I really I really don't like there the idea is of no comparing. comparison. There's um, no comparison. Like no. my mental health and your mental health and Mark's mental health. We're all we all have struggles and you know saying that oh you've had more or i've had more 
Sure, maybe we've had, maybe you've had nothing bad happen in your life, but that doesn't, you know, I don't want to disregard that you also have emotions and feelings and mm-hmm. traumatic events, you know? Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So what I want to do is sort of start with, um, you know, your story from the beginning, like the the upbringing you had and, you know, sort of what led you into eventually seeking help and going into treatment centers for your mental health. Um, so for starting at the very beginning, um, my birth mother had me at 16, as I said to you earlier, uh, she was really young. And she didn't have a lot of resources. And honestly, that was mostly her fault. Um, She was not very connected to her family um, for her own reasons. She just didn't like them. Mm -hmm. Um, Just kind of decided, I'm going to have this baby, even though you've offered me help. And I'm going to move out because you offered me help. So really, like, I'm going to do the opposite of what you told me to do. Um, so she had me at 16. She got pregnant at 15, um, with, uh, my dad, who I still live with. Um, and, uh, during the pregnancy, a lot happened and they decided that they couldn't be together anymore because, uh, he realized that she's really manipulative and abusive Um, and I guess he didn't realize that that would continue to happen after I was born. And so once I was born, she continued to be really neglectful and really abusive. And there were multiple times where if my dad wasn't there, I wouldn't be alive right now. Um, and like little things like a newborn child going out in like freezing weather in a diaper, like you can't do that because I'm going to get hypothermia. Um, But like just little things like that, there would be moldy bottles everywhere that she would just feed me whenever she would go out to parties. It wasn't healthy. Uh, And then CAS got involved. She lived in a home to help mothers and she still couldn't um, do it. So um, CAS was finally called and the situation was addressed and she just kind of was like, no, I'm the perfect mother, blah, blah, blah. These guys are all liars. And I was in foster care for a little while while my dad gained custody of me. So, sorry, I I just want to interrupt for a second. While all of this was going on, you know, like, so she was living in a place to help mothers, as you said. And so she had some support, but still was not really taking care of you to the best that she probably could have. While this was all happening, was your dad anywhere in the, like, did he know this was happening? Or had he just separated himself so far from her that... Um, He really didn't know what was going on. He tried to see me as often as he possibly could. He was um, 18. And so he was like, okay, I just started college. He was in the middle of college, something like that. And I need to get a job and I need to like, he really wanted to be like, okay, I'm going to take care of this child. A lot of Mm -hmm. teen dads don't do that. No, that's and kind of so, shocking, actually. Yeah, I mean, being the other sorry, way no offense, 18-year-old no, no. dudes. Like, I'm sure some of you are really wonderful, but I feel like that's... Uh, teenage boys nowadays, I will say, are not very wonderful. <laughs> no, I don't know. We They kind of suck. We all kind of suck, but the boys in particular. <laughs> so he, he knew that he wanted to be part of your life and he wanted to yeah. take care of you. And he obviously knew that she was not the person. Yeah, he knew and he didn't... He didn't entirely know how to address the situation. And when it finally got so bad, he's told me a few stories of just some things that he witnessed and some things that he heard and all these different things. And he's like, you know what? That's enough. So he was able to compile a good case before he even did anything about it so that he like he went to a few people who lived in the same place. It was called Rosalie Hall 
where we lived. Um, he talked to a bunch of the other mothers who witnessed me being neglected or abused and um, was able to have a firm case against her. So that when it came to the court case, if she really actually fought for me, which we didn't think she would, um, he would probably win based on all the mm. evidence he's gained. And so she kind of fought and kind of didn't, was there sometimes and wasn't there. She didn't really care. Um, she really liked going to parties. And she was technically homeless because she ran away from home mm. and um, told everybody that her parents abused her um, while I have very uh hard facts that they did not from multiple different people uh my grandparents were uh, amazing people um and would not lay a finger on her she was just the kind of person who decided i'm gonna do anything i want to despite what you tell me um and so she was kind of just uh doing whatever she wanted despite the mm -hmm. fact that she had a newborn child um so yeah, that was interesting. So when did your dad get custody of you and you started living with him? Um, a, Around a year, I think. Okay. So maybe younger. I think so younger. He, he has raised you most of your life. Like oh, yeah. all of that with your birth mother would be stuff you don't really remember. Like, you know, from stories, but mm -hmm. you didn't actually, you don't actually remember any, yeah. any incident i have a few faint memories from a couple years later um mm. but nothing from that time okay so then you're living with your dad and live with my dad my grandpa and my uncle and um at first um my mother lived with us um because she was homeless um and um Sometimes my like cousins would come in and out. It's a very small house with a lot of people. <laughs> okay. Um, and I actually think that, that she lived with us before the court case. I kind of have facts mixed up in my head a little bit. Um, but like she wanted to sleep in the same um, bed as my dad. And my grandfather was like, uh, my, my dad's dad was kind of like, uh, no. Uh, like I was telling you before, very Christian family. You guys aren't married. You just had a child together and you're kind of a crappy person. So, no, you can sleep on the well, couch. Well, they, they weren't a couple at this no, point. No, they, like, they had broken up, I think. Because um, I, th I think this was still before the court case. Um, but she just refused to listen to him, to any of the rules, whatever she wanted, like I was saying. Um, so I'm pretty sure they kicked her out, too. Like, actually kicked her out. Her parents didn't. Because um, it was just, you know, it was too much. And they're really, she wasn't their responsibility. Um, yeah. And at 16, you're legally allowed to live on your own. So if you go and make really poor choices and end up homeless, that's technically your fault. So. <laughs> wow. 16. Yeah. Could you imagine being on your own and homeless at 16? No. Yeah. She was homeless for um, a couple months. Uh, she makes it seem like this whole big, I was homeless and I was abused and I was raped and she is a pathological liar. We know this for a fact. She's a pathological liar. Pretty, pretty sure she has, uh, sociopathic tendencies. Um, she's really, really narcissistic. Um, but she makes up these things so that people feel bad for her. She got pregnant two other times after that and told everybody that her boyfriend raped her so that um, she got that attention when I know that boyfriend 
he's he did not rape her so um and i'm not the kind of person i've been sexually assaulted a couple times myself i am not the kind of person who would go no you're lying i i know always believe the victim except for my mother because that i know oh boy okay so let's Let's fast forward some years. So you're you're a baby. Now you're living with your dad. Mm-hmm. Eventually, your mom gets kicked out. So your dad raises you up until when? Oh, he's raised me my entire life. Okay. And your mom at this point then, is she in and out? Or do you have no contact with her? At first, there's no contact. Uh, then uh, she decides she wants to have like visiting rights. But she did have those rights. Um, so I saw her a couple times. But... She, um, a lot of the time, never showed up. Uh, I do have um, some memories of sitting at my daycare for hours waiting for her to show up because they said, oh, your mother's picking you up today. And I'd be so excited because I never get to see her and she's mommy or whatever. Um, So I would wait there for hours and she wouldn't come. And so they'd call my dad and be like, okay, well, she didn't come. So can you come get her? And... um. And my dad would be like, well, I'm at, I'm in school or I'm at work because he was juggling school and I think two jobs and all these different things and a child. And, you know, he had so much going on. Um, so a lot of the time I would wait there um, for hours and hours because she just wouldn't come and get me. Um, I do have like a couple good memories, though. Uh, I have a very faint one around Christmas time and there's like stockings hung uh, and I later realized that that's the apartment I lived with her um, two years ago. It's the same apartment, which kind of freaked me out. Um, but I had like stockings and I remember um, our dog and he was like the sweetest thing. And I, I have this memory of him eating a little um, puppy figurine I made out of pom-poms. That's the memory I have that he ate little figurine I made out of pom-poms and I was very sad so she made me another one so she she was around but not not always but you did you've mentioned your grandparents on your biological mother's side so you Mm -hmm. were you were close with her family just she was actually I wasn't I met my grandpa and my aunt and my uncle um two years ago when I reconnected with her oh okay Uh, I never knew them before that really so growing up your family was your your dad's family yeah i i learned that um i had had a couple encounters with um my grandma and my grandpa from that side but not very many and then we just they sort of just grew distant with my father because there wasn't it was kind of like bad blood in a sense because they were connected by my mother and it wasn't very positive right so all of this i mean a little bit of a a unique if that's yes. a, a word we can use a unique <laughs> a unique start to life but at some point um i guess things became like you know just the norm for you right like yeah. this is you know i live with my dad and my uncle and my grandfather and you know house full of people um at what point in your life did your mental health really start suffering and was there something that triggered that? How, how did this all begin where you ended up in a treatment center? <laughs> okay, well, uh, there's a little bit before that, actually. Um, uh, my dad got remarried when I was three and a half to my stepmom. Um, I call her mom. I've known her since I was a year and a half. Um, she actually wrote me a song with the... With the um, 
a, a line being i i met you when you were only a year and a half it's the cutest thing ever um she's an incredible mother uh very very different to what i had when i was really young um but because i didn't remember much of it and the and a few memories that I had were positive. Another one was a tea party. I remembered those things somehow with my birth mother. Um, I didn't see my birth mother as a bad person growing up, really. I knew that she abandoned me, but I kind of was just like, oh, but I don't know her. So maybe she's awesome. I guess to a kid too, like that's still your mom, right? Like that's, yeah. that's mom. So you don't want to think anything bad about your mom, right? Yeah. Even though you've got this wonderful stepmother who now, I mean, you call mom and I got to meet her today. She's lovely. lovely. But I, I don't know. I feel like that would be normal for a kid to defend their mother. Like, no, she's fine. Yeah. She's nice. We have tea parties. She's cool. Mm -hmm. um, I think when I was four or five was the last time I saw her. Um, and... I think it was just to sign some sort of legal paper of some sort for like a passport or a health card or something because she never actually registered me into anything. Um, so I didn't, I, I always joke that I was like, I was never a person until that age. But um, I think that was the last time that I saw her and I hadn't seen her for a long time before then. And then I hadn't seen her again until two years ago, like I said. Um, but like you said before, the treatment centers, I had been living with my uh, my mom and my dad and uh, my sister, who's now seven, uh, Haley. She's awesome. Um, she's really sweet. And she's actually helped me a lot with my mental health, just kind of being there. Um, but uh, I started to sort of get unstable around eight. I started to have really negative thoughts about myself. Uh, I told my aunt once that um, God should have never made me. I was, because I lived in a Christian house, that's what I believed in. And so God should have never made me and something went wrong there. Uh, and, and so that's when sort of my family was like, there is something happening here and we don't know what it is, but it's bad. Um, and uh, it kind of just got like, I started acting out a lot. I um, I broke my ankle once, and then I realized that I got a lot of love from people when I was so badly injured. So I started breaking my bones. <laughs> it sounds really bad. They weren't very serious breaks, all the other ones. Okay. Sure, you can say they weren't very. I mean, anyone like listening can, can't see my eyeballs, but I just <laughs> my eyeballs just yeah. kind of popped out of my head because I'm like at you're what eight, nine, ten years nine old, yeah, and you start breaking your bones to get attention from people. Yeah, at first it was oh, if I really badly hurt myself, um, people show me that they really love me because I don't think that people love me anymore. And it all stemmed, now I know this now, but I have something called borderline personality disorder and it stems in the simplest way I can explain it. It stems from a disconnection uh, in an authority or parental figure as a child. And so my mother just kind of not being there and then being there and then not being there and then all those different things happening, um, I develop APD. And so... Um, one of the main symptoms of that is 
not having a, se- a sense of self-worth, not understanding that other people have the ability to love you and having no idea who you are ever. Um, which in retrospect sounds like, okay, you just kind of have like sort of like, um, you don't really know who you are. You feel a little disconnected, but it's actually kind of hell in all honesty. Um, and so when I was like, oh, so everybody's going to abandon me because my mother abandoned me. So that just makes sense to my brain. If I hurt myself enough, they won't want to abandon me because they feel bad for me. So that's how it started off. And then I was like, I need to stop hurting myself. So I started faking it. And so I started making up these really elaborate lies about, oh, this happened. And oh my God, my ears are bleeding. And oh my God, these things are happening at like 9, 10. Because I can't keep actually hurting myself because it hurts. And I still want that love from people. I don't want people to leave me. So I started lying a lot. Uh, And my parents were like, children aren't normally supposed to lie this much. Like, it's not normal. Um, The lies started off with like, oh, did you put away your laundry? And I would say I did when I didn't. Or um, did yeah, my you... kids do that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so that's that's normal. You know, that's yeah. that's sort of a normal kid. Like, oh, I did this because I don't want you to be mad at me. Yeah. The only thing that wasn't normal about it was that mine stemmed from you can't be mad at me because then you're going to leave me. So it was a little bit like more BPD driven. So um, then the lies just escalated along with the hurting myself. And it kind of came to that point of making up these things and um then it turned into i want to find my mother and i'm going to run away from home and all these different things that were just like not normal child behavior at the age of 11 and 12 were your parents um like when you're saying things like i want to find my mother i'm going to run away from home all of these things like were they um What's the right, like, were you guys fighting about it? Was it an Mm -hmm. argumentative type of thing? Or were they trying to tell you, like, no, we want you here? And, like, like, what was the interaction with It was kind of both. Uh, They've always told me my entire life that we love you and we want you here. And, like, the problem is even with that reassurance, my brain still went to know they're going to leave me. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of grew stronger, which is why, um, like, in relationships, if someone tells me they love me, I can't even... Like it doesn't, my brain doesn't do that. Um, Like I haven't had a romantic relationship since my last one because I literally don't feel that anymore for people. Um, But it was both um, we love you and we're arguing about it constantly because I was lashing out like a 16 year old would doing these elaborate things and lying all the time and they just didn't understand what to do. Can I ask you a question, Mark? Do you know... Do you know anything about borderline personality disorder? No. no. Like when you're listening to Storm speak, are like are you thinking this is something that anybody like it could happen to anybody or are you thinking it's a product of everything that they said before like you know your birth mother being the type of person who did make up these elaborate lies to get attention and all of, like do you think there's like the, a genetic component do you think it was environmental i it's mean both. i know it's yeah. nature and nurture all thrown mm-hmm. all thrown together what do you think storm like knowing now looking <sighs> back and knowing like you know that there was 
obviously some, or I guess shouldn't say obviously, I am not a mental health professional. What the hell do I know? <laughs> but it sounds like there might have been some mental health issues with your birth mother. Oh, definitely. And then, of course, you know, traumatic events, like even though you were very small, as you said, you do have memories of having good times with her and then also knowing that she abandoned you and then also knowing that like you know you don't want to think she's a bad person but like part of you thinks like well what the hell you left me like yeah do you think it was it is a genetic thing or do you think it's also I think the upbringing um honestly I think like I know the science not the science but I know a lot about mental health being in mental health treatment centers and um being surrounded by it in my life and having it myself I've just constantly gained knowledge of it in Mm -hmm. 16 years I've been bringing in information about mental health so i know a lot and i think bpd is a very like it stems from a disconnection at at um around childbirth and that mm-hmm. is sort of where it comes from but it also i think it also can come from an upbringing and i think it also can be you know um you have mental health issues as a parent so maybe your kid is going to have it too i think it could be a whole bunch of different right things. there's probably a predisposition and then it depends mm-hmm. on what happens in those early years so i had a client say something interesting to me that i don't know why it like kind of took me back a little bit so she has two sons um and i, I want to say they're like you know nine and eleven ish mm-hmm. okay so young but not so young and one of her, she was telling me her birth stories when she was getting treatment. Um, I, I'm fascinated by childbirth. I did doula training a couple <laughs> years ago. Like I, I love babies and I, you know, babies I don't want, very cute. I don't want any more of mine, but I'd love to help <laughs> other people have babies. Right. So she's telling me her birth stories and she, one of her birth stories was very traumatic. Like she almost died. The kid almost died. Like things were bad. Um, and that was her first. And then her second one was you know, she took much more control and things. It was just a better experience overall. And she tells me that even now with her oldest, who, like I said, is probably around 11. Um, She says he's got like a like a separation anxiety with just her, because when he was born, he was immediately taken away from her. And they were separated for like a week or so because she, oh. you know, she almost died. He yeah. almost died. So they were both receiving medical attention and they weren't together. There was no like immediate bonding. Whereas with the second son, she got to hold him right away, right? And she said, I'm telling you that 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 him being taken away from me right at birth, she said, I think that has literally led to this, like, he's got severe separation anxiety from her. Like, he he gets upset when she has to drop him off somewhere. He's always, when are you coming back? How long are you going to be? Um, he likes to still, like, come and sleep in her bed with her sometime. Like, what oh. 11-year-old boy wants to do? But, yeah. like, he's just really attached. And um, anyway, it might not have anything to do with that, but I just thought it was interesting that she like equated that to like this really rough start as a newborn baby. Well, yeah, like so many things happen as a newborn. Like, um, I'm not sure if you you guys knew this, but um, uh, the concept of racism gets ingrained into newborns' minds at even three months old. They start to attract themselves to um, the color of the people that they're around. So if you are, you know, sort of a racist family and keep them away from people of color, um, they themselves become subconsciously racist at even three months. So things that happen as a newborn or as a baby are actually like really do impact 
um kind of how they are when they get older so mm-hmm. i mean that's just, just an example um but i i think that yeah i think that she she's very right in that sense that that might is probably the reason why he has that sort of separation anxiety with her mm-hmm. anyway sorry that that was <laughs> just uh what were we speaking about right so we were talking about you know what your thoughts are on the bpd so mm-hmm. i mean you know a lot about these things because you've you've been, been around dealing it, with always, it so yeah. Now we were at the point where you are now about, you know, 11 years old, acting like a teenager, acting out, lying. Um, what happens next? Um, so I ran away from home and tried to look for my birth mom. I figured out where she worked and I was like, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to go there and I'm not going to come back home. I'm just going to go and she's going to be like, oh, my God, this is my child. That's amazing. We're going to live together. Screw your parents. And because I was acting out so much, I was like, oh, my God, my parents are terrible when they're not. They're amazing. But because I was so I I'd, I'd become really honestly narcissistic at that time because I was so engraved and I have to keep myself sort of mentally alive because I was so um, focused on people are going to leave me. So um I just kind of didn't care about anybody else, kind of like my birth mother was, uh, where I was just like, I need to make sure that I'm okay. And so when I was like, oh my God, I found where she works. I played hooky. Um, I left for school, but I didn't go to school. And I went to uh, the building where she worked and she wasn't there. And so I didn't know what to do. And I sort of walked around the place for a bit and then went back home. And um, my parents had been called and they almost called the police and they were like, we don't know where my child is. And then they found me at home. And so that was their first sort of like, oh, my God, something actually really big is happening in my child's brain and we really don't know what to do with it. And by that point, my mom was already looking for um, therapies or people I can talk to because they knew that something was going on. Um so then that happened, and um, <laughs> I'm sorry, my mind is going back and forth between different events. Um, I guess uh, the next time I ran away was sort of weird. We were at Wonderland with a bunch of um, extended family, and I sort of had like probably the biggest panic attack I've, I've ever had. And it was more of like an existential crisis panic attack (laughs) or something. I don't even know. I just decided I can't be here anymore and I'm just going to start walking and I'm not going to stop. And so I left the park and I started walking and then I was like, I'm tired, so I'm going to sit under a tree. And so um, every security guard out um, Wonderland was looking for me and they got the police called and they thought I was kidnapped and I wasn't even there with my dad because I went with extended family. And so he came and they had no idea what was going on. And he drove past the tree I was sitting under. <laughs> and so he sees me and, or no, sorry, he didn't see me. And I was super surprised, but then I got paranoid that he was going to see me. So then I started walking back to Wonderland because I didn't know where else to go. And it was next to this highway. And... um that's when I got a phone call from an unknown number and I picked up and it was the police. And so I was just like, you know what? Okay. And there was a police car right over there. And so they found me. 
And um, the best way to explain this is my parents gave me corporal punishment like any other parent would. And with some of the issues that they both had with anger a while ago and not understanding the line, it became something that could be considered not okay. So if you understand my wordiness there. Um, so I used sort of that as an excuse to tell the police why I ran away because I had like no other reason in my brain, there's no reason why I would do that. I'm just crazy. So I have to give them a reason or they're going to like lock me away somewhere. So I told them that uh, something like that, like what I just said, that, you know, they kind of didn't do it in the nicest way possible. And they punished me a little harshly than most would. But I said it in less of a caring way. And I kind of was like, they hurt me. And they're like, what? So you made your parents sound abusive intentionally to the police I did. so that you didn't look crazy so that i didn't look crazy and like sure my parents weren't perfect in the way they punished me but they definitely weren't considered abusive people um and so the police were like that sounds a little like we need to check this out and so they talked to my parents and they just came to the conclusion almost immediately like you guys aren't abusive you care about your child very much and so they asked me what I wanted to do. I went and stayed the night at my aunt's that I was telling you about mm -hmm. earlier. And then I went back home and like things were back to normal. It was super weird and awkward, but like we pretended like nothing happened. And so my parents were like, yeah, this is not something that we can handle anymore. We cannot handle having to take care of this child that doesn't want us to take care of them. And I was at the point where I'm like, I'm going to go crazy or just kill myself because I don't know what to do. Um, and my mom had uh, just before that found a place uh, called Hinks Delcrest. They're no longer open, which is very sad. But it's um, a rural place up in Collingwood where they had this like 100 acre farmland. It was amazing. And they specialized in children with BPD and bipolar and anger issues. And it was like a mental health facility, mm -hmm. just farm. So hello, kind of awesome. Um, and so, but there was like a huge waiting list. And so after that big thing at Wonderland happened, she called them back or whatever and was like, this happened. And they were like, great, your kid can come <laughs> like right now. Just got severe. Your kid can come. Yeah. Got it. Um, so because I also was like, I'm just going to die. I, I, would, I just said, like, I'm, I want to die because I don't know what's going on with me. Um, and so that's when that started at that place. And um, they were awesome. I started there really um, anxious and confused and kind of angry. And I was still lying. And they just kind of completely transformed me. Um I started getting a hold of, um, you know, lashing out, was able to speak my mind more often instead of just kind of yelling. Um, I started lying less. Just everything became not at 100, you know? Um, and they really, really were helping. And these people that worked there were kind of like a family because they lived there for a couple days because they it was, you know, country. They had to drive like an hour every day to get there. So they, they would come and they would sleep in a cabin for a couple nights and then switch off. 
Um, so all the staff were like family, all the other youth that were there were like family. And the only problem with it was that all of us there are really unstable kids. We're really unstable. <laughs> and we're constantly seeing the other youth that we're living with come and then leave really soon after. And so there's still really no stability because everybody that we grow attached to leaves. Right. And so that kind of didn't help with my thing of everybody leaves and everybody's going to leave me. Mm-hmm. So everything else got really kind of good except for that. Um, <laughs> there was, um, I'm just going to say trigger warning for anybody listening, um, sexual assault and stuff like that. Um, uh, it was a day or two days before they took me to Hinksell Crest, the farm. Um, I was assaulted by a stranger at a bus stop at 13 was when I went. And I was like, what the heck do I do? And I didn't like understand what had happened. I didn't understand if I was supposed to tell people. And so, um, I didn't, I kept it to myself. And then, um, there was some lady that was at the farm who was talking to us and she's asked a question, I think about sexual assault or something like that. And all of a sudden I was like, cause I was working on my lying and I had been doing really well. And I was like, crap, I can't lie to her because it's what I'm working on. If I lie, I'm going to go back into that pattern. And I was really trying hard not to lie. So I was like, okay, I have to tell her. I guess what's the harm? And so I told her, and so it so it kind of blew up in my face because everybody there got told, and then my parents got told, and it oh boy, it was kind of a little ridiculous. Um, but uh, we never ended up catching the guy because um, the camera footage that they have gets deleted after a week, and so we didn't oh. have any proof, and so it was just kind of given to the police, and then they were like, "Thanks, we can't do anything with it." Um. So that was an interesting experience. Um, But soon before the farm closed, I uh, got a message or a call or something from my dad saying that my birth mother had contacted him. At this point, I'm 14. She hasn't talked to me since I was five. (laughs) So what the hell? And we have called her or texted her or something every year on my birthday and every year on Christmas being like, hey, your kid wants to see you and nothing. So we're really confused. And um, the farm people, like my therapy therapists and stuff kind of decided, what if we um, connect you guys through us? So my family therapist and myself and my mother uh, would sort of meet together for the first time. And so I was like, okay, that could work. Let's try that. And so my mother agreed. And I met her. And because um, of the way she was when it, when she was a kid, uh, she made herself into exactly what I wanted. Because she hadn't changed. She was completely the same person, just looked more mature and was a lot better at manipulating people. So she turned herself into exactly what I wanted. I lived with Christian parents and I didn't really know if I believed in it or not. And so she was like, hey, screw that. You can believe in whatever you want to. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. 
and like little little things like that even if she even if she didn't believe in it or even if she had no idea what she was talking about she said it because it made me like her more and so she was like oh yeah you can wear crop tops and like booty shorts i don't care you're 14 but i don't care and you can wear as much makeup as you want to so she became every she 14 became every, year old yeah. girl's dream like yeah. i can believe what i want i can think how i want i can dress how i want like mm-hmm. except not really though this lady's awesome <laughs> i i couldn't exactly dress how i want or look how i want because she did it in a way that made me think i was choosing what i wanted to look like when she was basically dressing me up like a barbie doll I can show you a picture later. I was the spitting image of this woman. Like mm. the exact same. We people thought we were sisters. Some people somebody thought we were twins once. We yeah, we looked exactly the same, same hair, almost the same height. We had the same makeup. Uh we had the same mannerisms. We talked the same, had the same opinions. I wasn't myself anymore. All of that work I did at the farm of finding myself and being true, especially to myself out the window because she's also an expert liar so then i became an expert liar again (laughs) and an expert manipulator so i became her in in her entirety and um the farm closed and so i went to their downtown site uh downtown toronto and uh, i lived in this big building with a bunch of other youth basically the same thing just in a building And so it was a lot closer for her. And so she would just come and see me all the time. And then it got to the point where we were allowed to go out. So she would take me out for a couple hours. And she pushed for me to um, ask for more time and more time and more time, making it feel like I wanted more time. When I, I did, but like she manipulated me into saying I want more time with her. And then she was like, you should move in with me because you hate your parents anyways. And Did you hate your parents? No, I love my parents. But my parents are amazing. But she made me think I hated my parents. And she made me treat them like I hated them. And mind you, this was around the time that my mom's, um, my mom's mom was in a coma. So my grandmother, who I was telling you earlier, who basically raised me, um, fell into a coma soon before I went into the farm. Uh, it was a uh, medical mistake, and um, she was really young, um, and she never came out of it, and we ended up taking her off of um, the vents and stuff after almost a year. Um, but this was around the time that my mom is going through a mental breakdown because her mother is going to die, and she kind of knows it at this point, and her child is now saying, okay, basically you're not my mother anymore. I'm going to go live with a better one. And treating them like trash, looking exactly like her, just, they just didn't know what to do. And so they said, you know what? Fine, you can go live with her. And so I went and I lived with her. And I was already staying nights there. And we smoked a lot of weed. (laughs) Smoked a lot of weed. Um, Because... I wanted to try it. And because my parents wouldn't let me, oh yeah, you can smoke weed every day with me because your Mm. parents don't let you. Uh, Which in retrospect, that's not something I should have done. Yeah, but it wasn't, it shouldn't have been you making that decision either. Yeah, it should have been. You were 14. The parent making the decision not to let me do that. Um, But then she had, um, 
a partner at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically became my stepdad. I started calling him dad after a while. He was actually amazing. I love him. I still talk to him. I'm still really close with him. Um, and uh, she, my birth mother, decided I'm going to cheat on him and then tell everybody that he abused me and my kid. Which I know didn't happen. He was amazing. She found this guy on the internet. And decided she was madly, madly in love with him. And when she used the excuse, but I'm polyamorous with him. And he knew that he knew better and was like, you've never said this before. And even if you were, we should have rules and mm-hmm. we should have boundaries and we should talk about things. You can't just go and do that because that's considered cheating, whether you're polyamorous or not. She was like, you know what, whatever. Kicked him out, told everybody that they both knew that he was abusive, like physically abusive, mm. which wasn't true. Um, she does this thing where she alienates anybody she wants from all of their people, like she did with me. She made me hate my parents and all my friends, and she made me cut off my best friend in the entire world. And I had nobody but her and her friends and her family. So that when she got rid of me, I technically would have had no one. So when she got rid of her partner, he had no one. Um, thankfully, uh, he went to somebody before she could so that they knew the actual story. Um, but it was, it was really just dramatic. Um, soon after that, one of the dogs that I mentioned that I remembered from my childhood, uh, she beat him to death in front of me, which was, that's, that was really traumatic. Um, and... Uh, she got another dog to replace him a couple months later, but I wasn't there. Um, and she, and this new guy she was with kind of started controlling me. They lived there, uh, still were smoking a lot of weed. She started drinking, so I was drinking way too much tequila. Um, (laughs) and, uh, they, they did very interesting things. They would walk around completely naked, both of them. And I'm like, this makes me super uncomfortable. I don't need to see both of your vaginas. Like, it's just not something that I want to see. And like, I don't, even, I don't care if I came out of one of them. I don't, <laughs> I don't care about that. Um, and they would have a lot of sex, like right in the other room while I was there. And I'm like, can you maybe not? It really weird. Um, she asked me to call him daddy and I'm like I've literally heard you call him daddy I don't want to do that (laughs) just really messed up things and I'm like why would you ever like why just why um and then she decided that I was in love with him I think that was her story that I was in love with him or that I had a crush on him or something like that so then you had to go so then I had to go uh so she kicked me out uh, I kept all my shit and I kept a lot of my stuff actually. I had this like really filled uh, book of poems that um, was the only thing I had left from the farm. One of the staff members bought it for me and she kept that, which was really mean because she knew that it was really important to me. Um, I'm pretty sure she burned it. She does this thing where she burns people's things. It's really interesting. Um, but uh, so yeah, I had to go. Um, so, but she did it very strategically. It was my turn to visit my parents and because it was Christmas time, I was going to be there for the weekend. 
and this was just after Christmas, excuse me, and um, she just kind of didn't pick me up and was like, oh, I'll pick you up on Wednesday instead of Monday. And I was like, okay, cool. And then Wednesday came and she's like, I'm sorry, things have been really weird. I'll pick you up on Friday. And I'm like, okay, okay, that's not your normal thing. You're usually so anxious to get me back, but whatever. Um, At this point, she's become like, she's constantly with this new guy. Mm-hmm. They 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 would leave me in the apartment for weeks and I would just kind of be there. They didn't bring any food or money and I basically just didn't eat anything. Um, and then I wasn't allowed to leave the apartment and they switched the lock around so that they could lock me in the apartment. And so I couldn't walk the dog. So there was like piss all over the... It was, it was, it was kind of gross. Um, so I was kind of like a hostage. But right near that time, I was kind of like a hostage. Before then, it was kind of fine. Um, and then I was like, fine, you can come get me Friday. And then she didn't come and get me. And she sends me this huge like message about like, oh, there have been like, you've crossed like a boundary with me and the guy that I'm with. And we need to change some things that we've been doing. And we took this way too fast. And my first thought is you were the one that urged me to take it faster to see you more and then to move in with you. Mm-hmm. Which, yes, I wanted that. You're my mother. I wanted to, you know, be with you or live with you or whatever. But now it's my fault. <laughs> I don't understand. Um, While this is happening, though, like, I, again, I I don't want to make it sound like I'm like, why would you even want to? Because obviously yeah, there's no, a no. reason. But while this was all happening and you're now with, you know, your dad and your mom and you know, she keeps saying, I'll come another day, I'll come another day, I'll come and sending you these messages. Like, do you want her to come get you? Are you anxious to go back? Or are you yeah. starting to feel like maybe I should stay with my parents who want me here? Um, At the time, I was still sort of what well, we, we say that I was brainwashed by her because I kind of was. I was still sort of brainwashed by her. I still had this thought like my parents are terrible because she had convinced me my parents are terrible. And I also had a trauma bond with her. Uh, it's the same reason I didn't leave one of my exes after he hurt me because I had a trauma bond with him and I didn't know what else to do, so I stayed. And so I had this bond with her in such a traumatic way that I was just like, this is normal and if anything else changes, it's going to be bad. So I have to stay. Um, so no, I didn't, I didn't really want to stay, which sounds bad to me now because I love my parents and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But I didn't I didn't want to stay with them at the time. Um, and so when she said that we were going to start just having visits again, like during the day, I was like heartbroken. I didn't know what to do with myself. And so my parents got their own message from her being like, I never want to see my child again, basically. And so they knew what was happening, but I didn't and they didn't want to tell me because what do we how do we tell this child that? Um, so this part is really fuzzy, honestly, because it was kind of it was kind of traumatic. Um, but a lot happened in between then. And we kind of realized I'm never going to see her again. And so things got back to normal and I started getting better and I started like I started making amends with people and getting back on track. And then um, it was around February at this point and some uh, family, um, like my aunt and uncle, were going to Cuba with their family. And 
and my parents were like, we should go too. And so we were like, awesome, we're going to go to Cuba. I've never been anywhere except for Canada and Florida. So I was like, this is cool. I get to like see the ocean, even though I'm actually terrified of the ocean. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I have like this really deep fear of of um, like water I can't touch the floor of. It's it's weird. I don't know. I understand. <laughs> I don't love the ocean. Mark loves the ocean. I mean, I love being on the beach and I love seeing the ocean and hearing yeah. the ocean. But when I'm in it, there's a little part of me that's fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't know what I'm stepping on. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. I don't know if someone's gonna like eat my foot or something. I don't even. I don't know. Um, but. Um, yeah, so we decided we were going to go to Cuba, and then uh, we got everything ready, and we looked at my passport, and it was going to expire. And so we were like, okay, we just needed to get me a new passport. Because my mother had been in my life recently, so recently, we needed her approval. Oh. That didn't go well. She refused, said I needed to be punished for my wrongdoings, and that uh, she still had control over me. And um, that I wasn't allowed to go. And because I needed her to sign off on a passport, I literally couldn't go. Um, And so my parents were like, the best people in the world were like, if you can't go, we're not going to go either. And I was like, that seems unfair. You guys need to go. It, it was this whole thing. And then they were like, well, you know, we're going to try to get you to go. So we went to the passport office a million times, tried to figure things out. She still said no. My mom was working at the passport office and trying to get them to figure something out while my dad was talking to my mother, (laughs) which they're not on the best terms. They have never been on the best terms. And so uh, she decides I'm taking away um, my phone because she had given me a phone because I didn't have one at the time. Oh, my God. Yeah, I have a phone now. You're awesome. (sighs) And um, she was like, yeah, you need to be punished. Give me my phone back. And so he went to drop it off at her work and then sort of like use that opportunity to have a conversation with her about like why the actual effort you're not giving her, giving them their passport. Like, I don't understand why you wouldn't. Right. And she's just like, well, no, they need to be punished and all these different things. And my dad's trying to reason with her and all these different things. And she just wouldn't said a lot of really nasty things. And then it sort of ended. And he was like, you know what? Fine. He goes home and they were like, we're so sorry. We couldn't figure anything out. My mom couldn't do anything with the passport office. They had to send her. They faxed her a um, a form because they needed written confirmation that she refused to give them um, the things needed to get me a passport. And so they faxed that to her. And then I was like, I haven't seen her since I was at her house last and we ended on good terms, and then she kind of like broke up with me <laughs> over text, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I was like, "What if I go to her work? All the it's all in the same day. <laughs> I, I go to her work like an hour or two after my dad did. So I go to her work. My mom's like, "This is a terrible idea, but you've been insisting for the past half hour, so fine." I'm very strong-willed. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand the word no very often so I just was like no I'm gonna go and so I went to her work and I knew the building and the room because my dad had just went and so I opened the door she's at the front and she's just like wide-eyed and like 
what is happening. Honestly, the look on her face was the best thing ever. <laughs> um, but then she immediately is like, you're inappropriate. You can't be here. And I'm like, okay, so sign the form. And she's like, stop making a scene. I'm like, I'm being quiet. I can yell if you want to. Like, if you want to yell, we can yell in front of your coworkers. I have no problem with that. Um, but she uh, rushed me out of the room into the hall, started yelling at me and swearing and telling me that I was being inappropriate and making a scene. But OK, I uh, did all these different things, called my dad to be like, hey, your child is here. Take them home. All these different things. I'm going to call the cops. And I'm like, what? I tried. I really did try. She said all these different things. I get sent home. Like, I go back in the car and go home. I had half a mind to key her car. I didn't, though. I'm proud that I didn't. Um, and we get a call the next day saying that they didn't get the form that they faxed to her to sign. So we get the passport. Because she didn't give them written confirmation. Oh, so her disobedience worked out. Yeah. Turns out she sent it back to the wrong address. She sent it the next day, but it was too late. So I got a passport and I went to Cuba. <laughs> And that was the last I ever heard of her. Oh, so wow. that was interesting. So now we're fast forwarding. And you said at the very beginning of this episode, so I'd like to bring it back near the end that, you know, all of that stuff that happened and you went to the treatment center and you kind of now looking back, understand some of your behavior and mm -hmm. what went on. And, yeah. But you said you're able now as a 16 year old to use some of the tools you learned at the treatment center and to use some of this and you said you're good. Like, I am. You know, how I are am you? You're good. good. So what are these tools? What are these like coping mechanisms? How do you keep yourself in a good place now? Uh, well, the treatment centers taught us something called uh, DBT, dialectal behavioral therapy. And it was honestly really beneficial. Uh, they do things like um, certain skills that they have like tip skills is one that I use really frequently. And a lot of them are acronyms. Uh, so T is temperature. Um, and intense physical activity and all these different things. And um, that one is uh, used to uh, help you get down from crisis. And so there's a whole bunch of different things. So now when I feel like I may want to hurt myself, I hold an ice cube or in the winter, I put my feet in the snow. And that's sort of like the temperature aspect of tip. Just small things like that um, are really, really beneficial. And mm -hmm. they really actually work. Um, I urge a lot of my friends to look up DBT, uh, look up some of the things, try them. They really work. A lot of my friends have been like, hey, this one was amazing. Uh, this one really worked for me. Uh, this one helped me when I was having a panic attack. And I'm like, yeah, they really do work. Um, one, one of them is most teenagers' favorite is uh, called Dear Man, which is a, another acronym, but it's used to help you uh, sort of effectively ask for something that you want. Mm -hmm. So, of course, teenagers would love that, um, but doing it in a nice sort of way, um, giving the other person like, hey, this can help you in this way, all these different kinds of things. So it, the so DBT skills are really, really helpful in like, so many different ways. Um, it's kind of great. So if... You know, I think a lot of the people listening to us would more likely be, you know, as you so lovingly referred to us when you got here, old people. <laughs> um, so some of these old people who listen to us will have children and teenagers. And, mm -hmm. you know, if somebody does recognize that there's some sort of behavior that is not they don't know how to deal with or they don't know what to do. Um, 
what suggestions might you have for parents? Because as for I said, parents. the teenagers aren't listening to us. You didn't find us because you listened to us. You found us because of your parents. <laughs> yeah. It's the old people. Um, The old people. <laughs> Honestly, one of the best things I could say is just genuinely listen to your children. Um if they say they need space or if they're if you can tell they're trying to tell you that they need space give them the bloody space because they're saying they need space for a reason like if i'm saying to my parents i need space if they don't give me the space i need i yell because i'm about to blow up and i'm telling them i need space or i'm gonna blow up um if your kid needs to spend time with you because they're sad or whatever if they ask to go somewhere they're probably asking to go somewhere for a reason so just just listen to your to your kid and what they're saying and maybe what the emotions behind what they're saying would be because we really are emotion seems so much easier said than done doesn't it 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 does it does it is very much so easier said than done i was just looking at marks i mean our our kids are small but i'm sure at some points listening to storm speak you're thinking about like fuck am i gonna deal with this with teenage daughters teenagers are terrifying we're terrifying (laughs) we can be at least you know Is there anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Like, I appreciate the amount of openness and detail that you went into. I didn't know where the conversation was going to go, but I know that you wanted to have this discussion and tell people your story. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you want to add? Not really. Maybe just like I find using my creative outlets is really, really big for me. like I mentioned to you off mic that um, I do a lot of singing. Like mm-hmm. I sing all the time. I mentioned to you that I have a microphone. Like I sing. I Doesn't know how right. to use it. but I, I don't know how to use it. <laughs> I'm mostly incompetent, but I, I do it. I try, try to. <laughs> um, but those um, creative outlets are what keep a lot of people who have BPD or just mental health in itself alive and stable. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have something that you can put all your crazy emotions into, because people with mental health have a lot of emotions, you're going to go crazy. So you've got to have somewhere to put them. I feel like any, we've we've had a few, um, we, we did a whole series a couple of years back on mental health and we had people come in who were struggling with their own mental health. Um, and, you know, we had somebody talk about agoraphobia. We've had people talk about uh, generalized anxiety disorder. Um, you know, we had someone who was an addict. We, you know, we've, we've mm-hmm. had different aspects of it. And I feel like almost every single person has brought up this idea of having some sort of outlet or yeah, some sort of creative outlet to, I guess, put all of their energy into. So I think, I think this is a thing. For, it is a thing. For, yeah. It's a thing. It's a, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just, I guess I could say it's sort of common knowledge in mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, people who have mental health issues, people who have disabilities, they're all really, really creative. Like my sister, I mentioned to you earlier, has ASD, autism spectrum disorder. And she is so creative. She can take pieces of garbage and plastic and straws and make like, these little tiny trinkets for her dolls. And I've never seen any kid do it before. And I'm like, this is awesome. You have so much creativity. And so I'm, I, and I see, you know, all my friends who have mental health issues or struggle with certain things like you mentioned. And 
I see them, you know, dancing and like putting their entire being into it. And like mm-hmm. just little little things like that, something that you really, really enjoy and something that you don't even have to be good at it. Like something that you just enjoy. Takes you out of your own head for a little bit, right? Yeah. I'm putting everything over there so I'm not it's focusing not so much on me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been interesting. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything else you you've been very quiet, you but I very listening. quiet. I do I'm know why listening. he he sort of uh, prefaced me before you even came and said we're about to talk to a teenager, and I think that maybe you're best to talk <laughs> yeah. to the teenager. So I knew he wasn't going to say too many things. But is there anything you want to ask Storm? No, no I think I'm good. <laughs> well, then let's wrap it up, Monsieur. Cool. Thanks for coming. This was pretty good. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.